Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another episode of That's Truth here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. I hope your Tuesday evening is going well, and I trust it will only get better as you stay tuned to CRL throughout the entirety of this program. I'm Nathan Owens, and sitting across the desk from me as usual is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Good evening, Nathan, and thankful to those who are listening to the program. Thank you so much for giving us a chance to get into your home this evening. There are many ways that you can interact with us on the program tonight. And again, we are here for the next 90 minutes. So we don't want it just to be you listening. We want it to be your friends, your family. It doesn't even matter if they are in Antigua, if they're in the Caribbean. They may be in a different time zone, different continent, other side of the world. Go ahead and send them a WhatsApp, give them a call, send them an email, and remind them that That's Truth is on on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse and will be for the next hour and a half. We're going to be discussing the topic of prayer, but if you have a question about any topic or a suggested topic that you would like discussed on a future episode, you can reach out to us. And we look forward to interacting with you. If you have a question and you want to make sure that there is no way that it can be traced back to you as the person asking it, in as at the beginning of your message, just say, please keep it completely anonymous. And we will not mention what country, we will not mention what region, we won't mention any details that would allow it to be traced back to you. Now, as I mentioned We are going to be discussing the topic of prayer. Pastor began a very in-depth look at the topic last week. Pastor, I know you covered 90 minutes worth of material last week, but can you give us just a brief overview as we jump into the material tonight for those who wouldn't have been with us last week? Well, I think one of the things that we did last week was to just give a very short, brief uh, terse definition of prayer, which has to do with prayer, is really talking to God. I think that was the basic concept that we, we did. And then we traced in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we looked at different Old Testament words. There were actually three New Old Testament words and seven New Testament words that they used for prayer. And we summed up uh, that by saying that all of these words specifically uh, let it known that uh, prayer is a verbalized form of communication with God. Uh, it also has to do with the idea of entreating his help, and uh, it also conveys the idea of asking for his favor. Um, so that's the basic concept that we had about prayer. And then we went on to talk about why is prayer important. And I use an extract from Arya Torrey's book, How to Prayer, where he gives nine different reasons why prayer is important. And we shared those nine reasons with you. And then finally we concluded uh, with some practical 
counsel on how to go about establishing your prayer life, not in um, great detail, but just a few tidbits in that matter. There was one other matter we talked about, is the ramifications that we draw from the fact that um, we are to pray to God. And we pointed out that the fact that we are asked to pray to God, uh, we can deduce from this that certain things about God and His nature and His character, and we mentioned about nine different aspects of His character that um, prayer highlights. And uh, so those are the things that we studied last week. And if you are interested in going and listening to last week's episode to catch up with all of that information, you can easily do that a number of ways. But the simplest way is to go to our website, radiolighthouse.org. Scroll down to the second large photo that you see, which is a large microphone, and right in the center of that photo, you see a circle that says podcast. Click on that link, and then there is a link for That's Truth. Visit the podcast, and you can go to the archive, and you can go to last week's episode dated from last week, and that will give you all of that information. Now, as we jump into this topic. Now, Pastor, you mentioned you defined prayer, and you gave several reasons why prayer is important in the life of a believer. Do you feel that there's any other ways that prayer is important and that it's explained in Scripture why prayer is important? Yeah, I think one of the fascinating discoveries that you make um, when you study the subject is in particular in the both in the Old Testament and the New Testament there's a particular symbol uh, that is used to represent prayer that in its essence you can extract two principles from it. For example, look at uh, Psalms 141 verse 2 and you see that David compares prayer to incense. Psalm 141 verse 2 141 and verse number 2 says let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Again, that, 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 that links his prayer with the incense that goes into the tabernacle or the temple. Where You remember the incense was supposed to be before the Holy of Holies in the veil, and it was supposed to be perpetual, continual. That's in, important. If you check Revelation chapter 5, 8, you'll see that that same symbol is again used in the New Testament for prayer. Revelation 5, 8 says, And when we had taken the book, the four beasts, and when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. Same idea that the, the odors or the incense, if you check the King James, actually the, the word incense, it's used there. But in Revelation chapter 5, the odor or the incense is symbolic, again, of the prayers of the saints. And then look at Revelations 8.3. Revelations 8.3 says, And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. Again, the symbolism of the incense representing the prayer. The two things there. Number one is, remember in the Old Testament when the incense was burned uh, in the presence before the holy, 
holy place. It was the holy of holies and the holy place, and there was the holy holies. You had the incense, you had the showbread, and then you had the veil, and then you had the holy. You remember, it said it's called a sweet smelling savor. Mm-hmm. That gives you an idea symbolically of what prayer is. Prayer is something that brings delight to God. It brings pleasure to Him, just like a sweet something is smelling sweet, and that's the symbolism. But not only that, the incense was to be burnt from morning to evening. It had to be continuously. And that carries the, old, the New Testament idea that we must pray without ceasing. So even in the symbolism in the Old Testament, uh, that is only brought out in the New Testament that that same incense is now represented of the believer's prayer. And it emphasizes those two things, the sweet-smelling savor to God, that prayer is something that God is pleased with, and also this idea that it must be continuous uh, in our prayer. So I think that emphasizes really in, in a symbolic way the importance of prayer. Question from a listener, Pastor. Can a person be saved without ever having prayed? I think that's virtually impossible because even in the book of Romans chapter 10, it says, Whosoever shall call upon him, the Lord shall be saved. And everyone that I am aware of that um, is saved, uh, that there's a call to the Lord for salvation. Now, I might might say this. I, I remember when, um, uh, I think it was... Uh, John Wesley said when he was reading, I think, the, the introductory to the book of Galatians, and um, he had, um, he said as he was reading, he came to faith and his heart was uh, was sweetly warmed. So I, I'm a little bit, uh, I'm making that statement, but I think that that would be part of his desire to find God, and of course, John Wesley be praying for the Lord. But I think everyone that comes to faith in Christ uh, at some point, along that decision, it involves turning to Him in repentance and putting your faith and trust in Him. So I, th- I don't think a person can be saved without uh, turning to God in, in prayer and asking for forgiveness and pardon. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 740. You're listening to That's Truth, a live interactive call-in program. There are multiple ways you can interact with us. Your question does not have to relate to prayer. It can be about any topic. You can WhatsApp or text your question to 268-782-1454. I'll give that to you again as you get your phone unlocked and get WhatsApp opened up or your contact list so you can save it in your phone. WhatsApp or text your question to 268-782-1454. If you would rather call and be put live on the air, the phone line is open, available, and awaiting your call. 268-462-7420. We'll put you live on the air. You can also join us on Facebook Live. For those of you that are joining us that way, welcome. No matter how you're joining us, maybe it's on 1160 AM or 92.3 FM. Thank you for joining us, and you can join us on Facebook Live and comment your questions right there, and they'll get passed along also to Pastor Murphy in a timely manner. Pastor, besides the symbolism of incense, are there any specific admonitions that we are given in respect to prayer? There are several uh, admonitions that we have in Scripture that emphasize and stress that we should be people who pray to the Lord. And uh, it would be helpful for us to look at some of those specific admonitions. If you look at Luke chapter 18, and uh, just read the first few verses, I think the audience should be familiar with this text. Luke chapter 18 says, And he told them a parable in the effect that they ought also to pray and not lose heart. He said, 
In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice. Okay. So that Nathan, I think uh, I think the, we got the general trend of yep. that. The point I'm making here is that the Lord gives us two alternatives to dealing with life's problems and challenges, especially when we face some kind of injustice where we want something to be done because we think we're treated unfairly. In the parable, clearly this lady uh, had needed recourse and she needed somebody to, to deal with her and, and help her to get justice. And the Bible said that the only two options you have, number one, you could either pray or you can faint and the word faint there you got rightfully in your um, Bible reading is to be disheartened so that's a choice for us I mean it's telling us that we ought to be praying and men ought always to pray Uh, and our Lord is saying well those are your options you're either going to be a person who's going to pray to God and ask God to help you even if you felt you've been treated unjustly or it's going to lead to you becoming faint hearted and discouraged so those are the options the parable that he gives us in that passage um, uses the example of a woman who is confronted by a judge who uh, very indifferent towards her, quite frankly. She's pleading that she uh, helped. But he said, I don't fear God, I don't fear man either. So he has no disregard, no regard for God. But yet, by her importunity, constantly bombarding him and asking him to uh, to please deal with her and, and give her justice, the Bible says that he yielded to her importunateness, importunate prayer. And uh, as a result, the answer came. And then our Lord went on to point out two things. Number one, he said, you know, uh, God is not indifferent to you, and he is the one that will help those who are his, his people. So you're not going to face this indifference when you come to God. So if an indifferent um, judge is willing to yield and answer a request because they're pressured to answer the request, it's said, it, you know, with, with, with uh, God, is is far less than that. He's not going to demand that kind of, um, you don't have to, field, uh, keep pressuring, 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 pressuring. And then he says he will speedily uh, intervene and, and, and answer your request. So he's encouraging prayer, and that is a clear admonition that the believer has got two options, and we've got all two options. That is, we either live a life of prayer, or we become frustrated and disheartened and discouraged. But God is not indifferent to our requests, and he's willing to speedily respond to us. That's the first thing. Now, if you look at Romans 12, and verse 12, um, there's another reference there, direct admonition in respect to prayer. Romans twelve twelve says, Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Yeah, the word in the King James is steadfast, and the word there is instant. But the whole idea is to be firm and unwavering in your prayer life. That's an inf- the same verse, by the way. Uh, a same parallel verse is found in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. You might just want to take a short look at that. Let me flip over there. Colossians four two, chapter 4 and verse number 2 says, Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Same expression, quite frankly, that you find in uh, Romans chapter 12, the idea of being firm and unwavering in prayer. Another admonition is, uh, we all know this one, First um, Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. Yeah. The question a lot of people have, of course, is what do you mean pray without ceasing? 
that particular word that is used there in the Greek language is a fascinating word. And outside of the New Testament, it is used of what they call a hacking cough. Now, when you've got a hacking cough, you don't cough all the time, but you feel like coughing, even though you don't cough. And that's the whole idea. Not that you're continuously praying, but you are in a disposition where you feel like praying, quite frankly, and it has to do with an attitude of prayer. And that, that is what the, the, the uh, prayer without ceasing is. It's, it's more of an attitude of prayer than the fact that you, uh, 24 hours a day, you're just constantly praying. That's not the idea behind the, the idea, but this, this, the feeling of desire to prayer is what's required there. Do you think a Christian this side of eternity can reach a level where they agree that or that they attain that pray without ceasing in a way that is pleasing to God? I don't not only think it can happen, I think it does happen. It's just that we haven't come into contact with people of that nature. But there's no doubt in my mind that throughout the world, in different parts of the world, there are people who understand that verse in a way that we don't. Because, you know, quite frankly, we are not in a position where we uh, feel the need continuously to pray. Let me put it that way. Our needs are met. We've got jobs. We've got um, basic necessities of life. We might have a bank account. We might have uh, good health. You know, we have medication. We may have uh, uh, whatever it is. Uh, there are people in different parts of the world who have none of those things. And they've been brought, you think of what it would be to live in a Muslim country constantly fearing death or imprisonment or losing your property or losing not only just your life but your family. I think that when you find yourself in those kind of strict conditions, I think you're more disposed uh, to have a life of prayer. I also think that people who are not in the cities, where you've got all this hubbub and all this noise and all this confusion or like a rat race. I do feel that people that find themselves in different parts of the country um, uh, is, is more disposed towards that kind of a continuous concept of prayer. But I do feel that there are people that do that, and I do think that one of our great weaknesses that we, in uh, 21st century, we're so involved in this rat race that that is not our disposition because our needs are not as urgent as as would be in in other uh, places, other countries, I think we are a little bit indisposed to keep that kind of a mindset. Are there any other admonitions that come to your mind in well, relation to Well, prayer? look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. 1 Timothy 2, 8 reads as follows, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Again, that's a clear admonition. And you notice the emphasis there is prayer everywhere. I think that is very significant. So we should be able to pray in the church, in the home, in the yard, in the streets, uh, when we're on the plane, in the workplace. Uh, and we should um, remember that in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, first century world, there was no church. So if we feel that we can't pray outside the church and we need to be in the church to pray, there's something wrong. The Apostle Paul is explaining there, quite frankly, that the location is completely immaterial. Remember in John chapter 4, when our Lord met the woman at the well? You remember what she said? You know, you Jews said that you should worship in Jerusalem, but our fathers worship in Mount Gerizim. Here are two different cultures, one focusing on Mount Gerizim, which is the center of worship for the Samaritans. Jerusalem is the center of worship for the Jews. And our Lord said the day is coming, the hour is yet come, when neither in this place nor in Jerusalem shall they worship me, but they that worship me shall worship me in spirit and truth. In other words, there's no specific location and that is now becoming the focal point of prayer. Uh, uh, prayer now becomes open to all men, every place, everywhere. And I think that's a significant exhortation that we pray everywhere. And then Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. 
Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 6 says, Be careful for nothing but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Again, that's a very, very clear. I notice we're praying about what? Some things? Everything. Everything. So we pray about our hurt, our pain, our disappointment, our uncertainty, uh, even our decisions we have to make about our career, our marriage, our jobs. Uh, there's not a single thing that we face in life that we are not admonished to bring it under the umbrella of prayer. And I think uh, that is a very clear fact that that's an admonition that indicates that prayer should be something that's regular with the believer. And then one other verse that is significant, I think, is Psalm 32, verse 6. Back to the Old Testament, Psalm 32 and verse number 6 says... For this shall every one that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. The first part of it is insignificant that we should pray unto the Lord while he is yet nigh. And, and the, the point there is that while he's still extending mercy and grace to us and we have not become so hardened in the condition that we are not praying, uh, we need to seize that moment and seize that opportunity. Remember that there are some examples in the Old Testament where people came to the point in life where God no longer answered their prayer. Saul was an example. The Bible says that neither prophet nor uh, the heavens listened to the Apostle Paul. He become uh, not the the, um, the King Saul after he had rebelled against God and had come under the judgment of God. He'd become so hardened that God no longer responded to him. So there's a warning that we should uh, take advantage of this prayer to, to God uh, while there is yet time and while he's yet favorable towards us because there is a very real danger that we can become so hardened that when we do pray, God doesn't hear us. That's a reality that the Bible warns against in the Scriptures. It's also the Bible talking about the sin unto death. I ask you not to pray for the person who committed the sin unto death. So there's a point at which prayer no longer is effective. We don't know what that is, so we better take advantage while we have it. And that's a biblical exhortation. What is that sin unto death? Do we know that? Now, we, we uh, mentioned last time that there are certain sins in the Bible that were sins unto death. For example, we, we have the idea of the communion, the abuse of the communion. Because of this, some of you sleep. Uh, that is doing the communion in an unworthy manner. Uh, if you read the passage in Corinthians chapter 11, you had a situation where people are meeting for the communion and some people are drunk. Some people are uh, gouging while other people are in need. And Paul warns that some of you are weak, some of you sleep. And it doesn't mean sleeping in the bed. It means sleeping death because of the abusive way in which they use the communion. Um, there's also in Corinthians chapter 5, the young man, that was living in an incestuous relationship with his wife, with his stepmother, sorry, uh, who Paul says cast outside the church that his body may be destroyed, that his spirit may be saved in the day of Jesus Christ. Those are some examples, I think, of what the, the um, sin unto death is. But specifically, um, we don't know in great detail, but we do know that a person can reach to the point where there's no point of uh, praying any longer for that individual because um, they've gone beyond the point of recovery. And the Bible warns about that. Pastor, I recently saw a post that I found a little disturbing, but I wanted to get your thoughts, a post on Facebook. I wanted to get your thoughts on it from a biblical worldview to take us back to Scripture as our reference point. The whole idea was saying that the gospel is queer. 
in relation to the LGBTQ uh, movement. In Matthew 17, Jesus had the most fabulous of all coming out of the closet with his friends, coming out party with his closet friends. He showed up transformed and glowing, wearing most dazzling white outfit. But like anyone who is closeted knows, you have to be careful who you come out with first and schedule things out properly. After his transfiguration, Jesus told his friends who, to whom he had come out, tell no one about this. Pastor, is there any biblical basis for it? That's the most stupid interpretation I've ever heard, the most bizarre interpretation. There's no grounds for that kind of interpretation. This is the person who obviously must be within that group who is trying to find some justification for their lifestyle, and therefore they come to Scripture and impose their own private interpretation on a passage like that. It's very, very clear from that particular passage that Jesus, when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration, that he was transfigured, or what is called a metamorphosis, that his deity showed through his humanity, and he manifested his glory uh, at the the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember he told one of the disciples that they would see his glory, and that was the manifestation of his glory. It had nothing to do with uh, supporting the LBGT or all these other things. These groups are lost. They are non-Christians. They cannot be Christians and remain in that kind of a lifestyle and habitually practice that kind of sin. Everything about their lifestyle is contrary to the biblical doctrine about gender, about marriage, about um, sexuality. It is perversion, it is sin, it is wrong, it is evil, it's ungodly, it's an abomination. There are no adjectives that one can find uh, that can describe that worse than the Bible says an abomination before God. And the Bible tells us in the book of Romans, uh, chapter 1, that God has given up those people to their lust and to their desires. And what that really means is that God has taken his hand off their lives, and as a result, they can do anything, behave anywhere, act and perform any kind of sinful uh, position, and um, they're not under any sense of conviction. Their conscience is seared, and unless they repent, they're doomed for damnation. You're listening to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, broadcasting from the island of Antigua on 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, online at www.radiolighthouse.org. And you can also join us on Facebook for this program. Go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page. Click on the Facebook Live video feed. And right there on your device, you can comment in your comment section. And your comments or questions will get passed along to Pastor Murphy in a timely manner. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 7.58. We still have an hour left in the program. There's a number of ways that you can communicate with us. You can call and be put live on the air. 1-268-462-7420 is the phone number to call. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text your questions, you can send it to 268-782-1454. Pastor, what specific or special directives are we given regarding how we should go about praying? One of the things that we discover when we do this study of prayer, um, even if it's a short, brief study, is that there's such a thing as protocol in prayer. And what I mean by protocol is that the Scripture tells us that uh, there's certain form and regulations that are operative within the, the Godhead, the Trinity, 
And the Bible tells us that they, all three persons are involved in prayer, but yet each person have a particular protocol or a particular uh, regulation that relates to that individual. I think the best summary of that would be to state this, that when we pray, prayer is to be directed to the Father in the name of the Son and in the under the influence of the Holy Spirit or in the Spirit. And I think you can find that protocol um, not only in its elements um, emphasized in Scripture separately, but I think you can see it on display in terms of illustrated in the prayer of the Apostle Paul. For example, look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18. As I turn there, Pastor, wouldn't following a format, isn't that legalism? It's not a le- it's not a uh, legalism if God has designed that format. I mean, you cannot be legalistic if God has uh, tell you this is how to pray. Uh, he knows what is uh, required to pray. He is the one that sets the pattern to prayer. As a matter of fact, when we come to the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter uh, five, you'll see that He gives you a pattern. One of the great mistakes that people make is to not understand that there has to be some format in prayer. And what I mean by that, prayer is not a haphazard thing that you do. Uh, our Lord, in the, in the uh, what is called the Lord's Prayer, what we call the Believer's Prayer, sets out a pattern. He says, when you're praying, keep this pattern in mind. And it's never, first of all, about you. That's the first thing we got to understand, that we must understand that prayer essentially focuses on God, His kingdom, His will. Uh, his power, etc. And then we begin to talk about our needs, etc., etc. Now, had not God told us that, uh, we would rush into his presence and find that we have violated protocol. Now, when you're going to meet the queen, there's a particular protocol when you're going to meet the queen. You just can't rush into her presence. You have to go through certain things. Even to go to meet the prime minister of Antigua, this protocol, you just can't say, rush into the thing and ignore the security guard and ignore the, 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 the secretary and whoever else gets you there. This protocol, we all recognize that. Well, the funny thing, not the funny thing, the, the thing that the Bible teaches, that there's such a protocol in Scripture. You direct prayer to the Father in the name of the Son and in the Spirit. That is what God tells us you should do. And he, of course, has the right to set the protocol uh, for us. But look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, and notice the Apostle Paul follows this particular protocol. For by grace are ye saved through faith. E- Ephesians 2, 18? Oh, Ephesians 2, 18. Uh, maybe uh, it's chapter 1, sorry. Uh, 2, 18 says, for through him no, we no, both... No, no, it's, it's uh, chapter 1. It's got to be chapter 1. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father? Yeah, that's that's what? Uh, 2.18. Okay, go ahead, 2.18. Uh, Ephesians 2.18. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. To who? To Jesus. We have access to who? The Father. Father. How? By one spirit. By one spirit. You see, the uh, you got the Father, you got the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But notice that all three are involved in this whole matter of prayer. It's through Jesus Christ we have access to the Father, but while we're praying, we must pray in the Spirit. If you look also at Ephesians chapter four, verse chapter three, verse fourteen and seventeen, you see that Paul again brings in both the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit uh, in his prayer. Three fourteen says, "For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ." And verse seventeen says, "No, read, read it. Continue. Oh, reading. continue reading. Yeah. Okay. Of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named." That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith 
that ye being rooted and grounded in love. Again, notice the three persons are involved. I bow my knees before the Father that you be strengthened by the Holy Spirit and that Christ might dwell in you by faith. Notice that, you see, three persons are all involved here in this matter of prayer. Um, so when it comes to prayer, that is the proper protocol that each individual uh, within the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and of course in the Old Testament, by the way, Nathan, we, were not, we weren't aware of these distinctions within the Godhead. So the emphasis in the Old Testament is praying to God uh, in general. But now that it, we are under a new dispensation, uh, which we call the dispensation of grace, the Lord specifies how we are to go about approaching Him. And uh, and a lot has to do with the fact that Jesus Christ died for our sins, so the sin problem is solved, but also the Holy Spirit is sent to live and dwell in the believer. So all three persons are active as far as prayer is concerned. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 8.03 phone line is open and available if you have a question doesn't have to relate to prayer maybe it does uh, it is something related to prayer maybe it's something that a co-worker asked you today maybe it's something that a family member asked you a couple of years ago and you just feel like there's got to be a better answer or you're not sure if you gave as comprehensive comprehensive of an answer as you could have using scripture we would love for you to call and ask your question one two six eight four six two seventy four twenty is the phone number to call. If you'd rather not speak live on the air, not a problem at all. You can still interact with us. You can send your message or text message or WhatsApp message to one two six eight seven eight two one four five four. In light of this divine order that you just mentioned with the protocol and the fact that it's not legalism, it's something that is set out in Scripture, what are the specific roles of each of the members of the Trinity in relation to prayer? Well, let's start with the Father. What's, what's his role? Um, and when you go through the Scriptures, uh, it is clear that he is to be the one who is addressed. He is the uh, addressee that we must approach. Uh, we're never told to address Christ. We're never told to address the Holy Spirit. Certainly we must never pray uh, to angels or to saints, and definitely we must not pray to Mary. Uh, we pray directly to God the Father. That's who we go to when we're addressing in prayer. This is emphasized uh, in the New Testament in several verses of Scripture. Uh, look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Matthew 6, 9 says... After this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This is our Lord's setting. The disciples came to the Lord teaches to pray. And he's saying, listen, this is the protocol. This is the proper procedure in prayer. This is how you, you pray. You go to the Father. You don't go to, to the Son. You don't go to the Holy Spirit. You don't go to an angel. You don't go to a saint. You don't go to anybody other than the Father. He's the one that you address in prayer. Also, look at um, John chapter 15. What verse? Verse 16. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you, that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Very clear. Again, you ask the Father in my name. This is a directive. Look at verse 23 of that same chapter. At the end of that verse 16, it says... 
uh, whatever you ask in the name of the Father, he'll give it to you. Mm-hmm. I know a while back we talked about the uh, the f- movement where people are naming it and claiming it. Mm-hmm. How would you respond to someone who says, but there's a verse that says, if whatever I ask in the Father's name, I'm going to get it. In my name, you mean? Yeah. yeah. Well, again, we're going to talk about what it means oh, yeah. to pray in the name of Jesus at, uh, during this podcast, but certainly it's not some kind of a talisman. It's not some kind of a magic formula that you just add on to get credibility with God. Uh, you've got to understand what it really means to pray in the name of Christ. And let, if you wait a little bit later in the program, we'll kind of discuss that. I won't let the, the thing out of the bag right now, but we will get to that point because a lot of people do think that talent on the name Jesus is like um, uh, is going to the mere fact that you do the formula that you're going to get your answer because of the form but that's basically the whole point of what that prayer, what is about uh, John 15 the, John 16 23 John 16 15 20 yeah it was 15 16 16 23 sorry 16 23 reads as follows and in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Very clear again that this is you're praying in the name of, of uh, the in Jesus' name and address to the Father. Look at Acts four twenty four. Acts four twenty four says, and when they heard that. They lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Again, the address is to God the Father, basically, in that particular passage. And if you look at uh, one other verse, Ephesians 5.20. Ephesians 5 and verse number 20 says, Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, you're giving thanks to the Father. You're addressing the Father. You're giving thanks by addressing the Father in the name of Jesus Christ. I don't think anybody uh, can dispute that there is a divine protocol established by God himself. And part of that protocol is that the Father's role is that he's the addressee. You come uh, to him in prayer in the name of Christ. But let me let me just show you as well, uh, Christ uh, uh, is the example to the believer in every aspect of his life. And it's very, very significant that uh, when you look at the prayer life of our Lord and uh, how he prayed, you'll find that the only person he ever addressed, never the Holy Spirit, never another man or angel, he addressed in every case, he came to the Father. Look at John chapter 17, and uh, we look in there, and you find in six different verses in his prayer. In every case, he comes to the Father. Look at verse number one. Verse one says, These words spake Jesus, and lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. Clearly, he's addressing his Father. Look at verse five in the same chapter. And now, O Father, glorify, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Verse 11, you'll see again, he's directing his prayer to the Father. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thy name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. 
I want to model and look up verse 24 in this prayer again. He's directly addressing the Father. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. And then verse 25. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. This is an incontrovertible fact that when we are going to address prayer, it has to be and it must be directed to the Father. Uh, That's the only uh, command we're given in respect to his role. And we must not rob him of that role or put somebody on par with him as far as that role is concerned. And that's why it's offensive to me as a pastor, a Christian, as a believer, that prayer will be addressed to a saint or addressed to an angel or addressed to uh, Mary. All of these are false systems, and they're fall contrary contrary to what God teaches and what the Scriptures teach in this matter. And Christ being the model uh, of prayer— he sets the tone, and clearly in his own prayer, um, in that one prayer, five different times, he's addressing the Father. Every time he's addressing the Father. Never once the Spirit, uh, never once any other being but God the Father. And he's setting that model for us. <clears throat> Pastor, what about if you have a young child just learning to speak and you're modeling prayer for them? teaching them to pray at night and uh, I remember some children's books start out with Dear Jesus. Is that heretical? Is that do we need to from the very beginning be uh, starting out uh, God the Father addressing it to the Father? If we're teaching prayer we must teach prayer according to the biblical protocol. We can't violate that. I mean who are we to uh, violate that even if we have good intentions? I would recommend that um, when you when we're doing those kind of things, we follow the biblical protocol. We always pray to the Father. That's what God says. That's how Christ practiced. And it might seem as though um, we are doing something helpful, but I'm not too sure that we can be contradicting uh, Scripture and going against Scripture and receive blessing. Uh, let's follow what God says, and we cannot go wrong by following Him because they have established within the Godhead this particular protocol, and uh, we have no reason to violate that. If we address a prayer to the wrong person of the Trinity, does God hear the prayer? I can't answer that question uh, because there's no indication in the Bible of anybody directing a prayer to anybody other than the Father. All I would say to you is that if you want your prayers answered, you follow protocol. I can't. Uh, I, I can't be violating a clear directive that we give given in Scripture and then expect God to, to bless uh, the violation of that protocol. It just doesn't rhyme or go well with the fact of who we think God is. Uh, you know, it's like you go back in the Old Testament, Nathan, and you find some things that shocks you. Here's a man taking the ark back to the proper place it's supposed to be, and he has it on a donkey cart. And the ark almost about to fall off, and the man puts his hand on it, and God kills him. Why? Because the protocol was the only one to hold the ark and stable the ark was who? The Levites. Now, he meant well, no question about that. But again, we are not in a position to violate God's directives because uh, to do so is to assume, uh, by the way, could not God have stopped the 
ark from falling. Yeah. We are taking a role that doesn't belong to us. And I think it's only proper for us to just follow what God says. That's wisdom, and that, that's the biblical procedure. You're listening to That's Truth. Do you have a question that you would like answered from a biblical worldview? You can call and be put live on the air, 268-462-7420. Or you can WhatsApp or text your question to 268-782-1454. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 815 Pastor, what about the role of the sun? How, what part does the sun play in prayer? Well, if the fathers are dressy, and we also told in Scripture repeatedly again that prayer must be done in the name of Jesus, uh, there are six references that admonish that prayer be done in his name. Uh, look at John chapter 14. John 14. Verse 13. It says the following, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Again, you ask it. Look at verse 14. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Look at chapter 15, verse 16. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, and whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Again, look at chapter, look at verse 24 of that same chapter. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. And now have they both seen and hated both me and my Father. Okay, that, that's, that's verse 24? Yeah, 1524. No, 1624. 1624 says, Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be filled. Again, you notice you ask in his name. And the last one is 1626. At that day ye shall ask in my name, and I say unto you, and I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you. Again, you ask in my name. I don't know if there's any way we can ignore the fact that that is the protocol that the Lord himself has established. If you come to the Father, you come to him in my name. And it's not once, six different times that is emphasized. And you can take other uh, a concordance and go through again in the book of John. You'll see that, that in his name, in his name, in his name, in, in, in his name is emphasized. That's the divine order, and it is only right and proper that those within the church who are followers of Christ and believe in the infallibility of the Scriptures, that we understand that prayer is directed to the Father in the name of Jesus. So there should be no dispute whatsoever about that, about that matter. I think that's pretty pretty clear from the verses that you shared, but what is meant by pray in Jesus' name? Is that just something we're supposed to tack on at the end, or based on these verses, now I'm starting to wonder in my mind, am I supposed to, throughout my prayer, be referencing this? Yeah. Well, for sure, it, it involves more than just muttering words. I mean, anybody can say in the name of Jesus. And as I pointed out before as well, it's more than just being a magic formula that we just uh, utilize, and therefore, because we use this magic abracadabra, uh, we're going to get an answer to prayer. Uh, it involves three things, Nathan. Number one, 
It involves, first of all, praying in the authority that has been delegated to us by Christ. So when we pray in His name, that is the authority that has standing before God. Uh, if we, you know, it's like a, like a bank account, basically. Uh, if I have a bank account and I have a signature and I sign a check in my name, that is as good as if I go or you go because it's in my name on the authority that my signature. And I think that's what it emphasizes here that when we come to our, our, uh, the Father in prayer, we are coming to Him in the delegated authority that has been given to us by His Son. The other thing is, I think it has to do with our identity. Uh, coming to Him in His name has to do with our identity with Christ in His cause. If I'm coming to the Father in the name of Christ, it's because I've identified myself with Christ. And of course, that has to do with my redemption, my salvation, that I'm part of His family. And And then the other thing is, I think, it also has to do with my representation of Him. Uh, When I come to Him, uh, the Father in prayer, I'm coming in His name because as I pray, I'm representing Him and I'm representing His interests. So it's more than just making a little um, fancy um, uh, cliche or something at the end of the word. It is the idea of I'm coming with authority, I'm coming in my identity in Him, I'm also coming as my, His representative and representing His interests. That's what it really means to pray in His name, not just... Ta- and when you think about it in greater detail, think about those three things that I am saying when I come to the Father, I am identifying with Him in His redemption. I'm also uh, I'm also uh, um, using His authority because I'm His child. He gave me that. But not only that, that I am actually uh, representing His interests. So when I'm praying, I'm praying in His interests, not just my interests. That puts a completely different spin on just saying in Jesus' name because it now makes me think when I'm coming to the Lord, uh, is this an interest I'm looking after or my, my, own, my own interest, right? So that's where it means more than just, um, it's not more like a talisman or some kind of a, a formula. It, it's, it's designed uh, to make us more thoughtful when we go to pray in His name. Is there more, do you believe that there's more to the role of Jesus in our prayers beyond this specific well, role. beyond the specific role of uh, protocol in terms of his name, I think you'll find in the in the scriptures uh, that he is also the high priest of our prayers, and that is something that is displayed in in two different passages. Two of those great passages that affirm his role as the high priest of our prayers is look at Hebrews chapter four, verse fourteen to sixteen. Seen then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the infirmity, with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly onto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Yeah, that's an important uh, uh, passage that indicates that not only do we come to him in his name, but the actual fact that while he's in heaven, he is our great high priest interceding for us. And there are two things, Nathan. Um, We are assured that 
when we pray that this one also knows and understands our feelings and our infirmities. Now, many, many times uh, the, the, the idea is given that we go to Mary because she understands our feelings, she understands our infirmities. Uh, the Bible completely takes Mary out of the picture by saying to us that because Christ was a man, he was tempted at all points as we are, he understands us. As a matter of fact, I would put it this way. He understands our temptation even more than Mary. She never went through half of what he went through. Uh, so he knows rejection. He knows betrayal. Uh, he, he knows basically every single situation we face with. And that prepares him for that intercessory work as a, a high priest. So the two things there, he, he's aware of our infirmities. He's also aware of our temptations. Uh, and uh, he was tempted at all points like as we are. But how can the Bible say that? Because, okay, let's just take, for example, there wasn't computers. Mm-hmm. There wasn't the Internet. So there wasn't Internet pornography. So mm-hmm. how can the Bible claim that Jesus Christ was tempted in the, the same well, ways? Well, remember that the temptation comes in th- three different forms. The Bible gives you the model. It's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the lust of this, uh, uh, the, the pride of life, basically. Those are the three forms in which uh, temptation comes. And it, it doesn't have to come in the modern form uh, to be the lust of the flesh. But the fact that the lust of the flesh is the lust of the flesh no matter where it happens or when it happens or what time it happens. And the same um, thing that drives that, the same feelings that come from that, uh, whether it be done in the first century or the second century, what's the difference between David looking at a woman naked and a person watching it on pornography? Which do you think is worse? They're both sinned before <laughs> They're God. They're both sinned before God. But not only that, uh, in my judgment, the real thing, as opposed to the artificial thing, because a lot of this pornography is artificial, I think that has a much more powerful drawing power is, uh, than, 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 than the pornography would have. I think the problem with the pornography is the frequency of it. Right and stuff like that, and of course, these people are made to do things that are not ordinary. They are always extreme because the extreme desire that is created, and uh, people today are not only turbocharged but they are jaded. Nothing, quite frankly, uh, appeals to them. They need something deeper and deeper and worse and worse and worse because they become so callous and so indifferent. And that's where the pornography comes in. It goes from one form to the other because it's trying to get to a height. It's almost like a drug. The more you have of it. The less impact it has, you need more of it, and that's what—that's how it f- pornography feeds, right? But the point is that he understands your lust, he understands your desires, he understands your your problem, he understands your pride, uh, and he understands the things that attract you through the eye, the eye gate, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But uh, so the other thing is, Nathan, about the passage that we need two things: when we are infirm and when we are undergoing temptation, we need two things. Number one, we need mercy. We need to feel that there's somebody who understands us, that we have no, uh, what we need is sympathy uh, as far in our condition, not a condolence, but at least understanding and sympathizing with the fact that we are so weak. He understands that. And the other thing we need is grace. Grace is power. Uh, to be able to overcome our temptations. And the Bible says, come before the throne of grace to get mercy and grace to help in time of what? Need, need. when we need. So here is he, uh, uh, there's another role 
as far as the son is concerned, that he is our high priest of prayer uh, in the scripture. Another interesting uh, verse, uh, Nathan, is First John chapter two, verse one and two. First John two one and two says, "My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous." Verse 2 says, And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Two things. Uh, he is our advocate. And uh, if you study the word advocate, uh, he's equivalent to our attorney, our lawyer. He's the one that defends us. Remember in the book of Revelations and also in the book of Job, there's a one called the accuser of the brethren that has access. We're not too sure why he's given that access, but he accuses the brethren day and night before God. And that seemed to be one of the roles of Satan, that while he, while we are down here and uh, he observes us, that he's able to somehow accuse us before God. You know, that's your child down there. <laughs> he's supposed to be saved. He's supposed to have the Holy Spirit. He's supposed to be loving and kind, but look at him. He's just as worse as one of mine. That kind of accusation you can very well see, and that's where our Lord interposes between himself and Satan, and there defends the believer and reminds, as it were, that we are in his righteousness. He already paid the price for that or covers that birth. And that's why it says he's our propitiation. The word propitiation means he's our satisfaction. So he stands between us and God in respect to Satan that when we accuse, he defends us as a defense attorney. So that is his ongoing job. He's not just to pray in his name, but also from a biblical perspective, he's also our great intercessor and our advocate and the one that defends the believer. Question from a listener. Pastor, do you believe that God has answers for our prayers and is just waiting for us to ask? I I believe that God, um, uh, let me put it this way, I think that God delights to answer prayer. Uh, I think God wants to answer prayer more than we want to pray. And I think uh, he wants to show himself mighty on the behalf of that person uh, who is truly and completely dedicated to him. So I do feel that God wants to demonstrate his power. And he, But he, the problem is finding the person who has really taken prayer as a ministry and really devote himself to prayer. I'm reading the book by Bongs, E.M. Bongs. Mm-hmm. E.M. Bongs got up every morning at 4 a.m. to spend one or two hours in prayer with God. How many people do you know? are willing to make that kind of sacrifice, that kind of dedication. It doesn't exist. Martin Luther prayed three hours a day. Uh, I was reading, I forgot the other guys, another guy that prayed seven hours a day. Hmm. I mean, these are men who understood that it is prayer that moves the ministry. Uh, You know, uh, and I don't feel that we have that caliber of people today, and I think that's the problem. But uh, God certainly uh, would desire to answer prayer and to be a prayer answering God but again it must not be an ad hoc situation it must be a person really truly committed and dedicated and who indicates that by persevering in prayer Pastor what about the role of the Holy Spirit in that practice of prayer well there are three verses of scripture uh, that really indicates uh, what part of the protocol the Spirit is involved in look at uh, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 18 Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit 
and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Notice the expression there in the spirit. You see it again? Can you read that part again? Yeah. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in, in the spirit. spirit. In the spirit. And it's not it's not in it's not the human spirit is talking about there, okay? In the spirit. And notice it has a definite article before it. Okay. The spirit. Uh, yeah. The spirit is the spirit. So you're praying in the spirit. So you come to the Father in the name of Jesus and you pray in the spirit. Look at Jude chapter twenty. There's no chapter there. There's only one verse. Jude twenty. Jude twenty says but ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Again, notice the expression. Same expression is used in Ephesians chapter six, eighteen, that you praying in the Spirit or praying in the Holy Spirit. Another verse that indicates this is uh, Ephesians chapter five, verse eighteen to twenty. If you just read that section, Ephesians chapter, five, yeah, verse eighteen to twenty. Eighteen to twenty says. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Yeah. Uh, read the other verse. Uh, verse 20. Uh-huh. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and for the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if you see the connection. First of all, you're filled with the Spirit. As a result of being filled with the Spirit, one of those things that happen is that you pray with thanksgiving to the Lord. So there's a connection there between the filling of the Spirit and the actual prayer life of a person. In all three of these passages, the emphasis is that's the role, uh, that part of the protocol, that we should pray in the Spirit. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 8.32. We are glad that you have taken time out of your Tuesday evening to join us for That's Truth. Joining us for That's Truth does not just mean listening. It means that you have an opportunity to ask Pastor Murphy any question, and he will answer it from a biblical worldview. Maybe you are not a Christian, you don't claim to be a believer, but you are listening tonight. Welcome, and we are honored that you have set aside time from your Tuesday evening. Maybe you have a question that you would like answered. We would love to hear your question and answer it here in a safe space. We're not here to belittle or to make fun of or laugh at you. You can call and be put live on the air, one 462 7420. You can WhatsApp or text your question to 1-268-782-1454. Or you can join us on Facebook Live. Go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page. Click on the Facebook Live video feed, and then you can comment your questions. Or maybe it's a suggested topic for a future episode right there in the comment section, and we will pass them along to Pastor Murphy in a timely manner. Pastor, anything else you'd like to mention about the Holy Spirit well, in relation uh, to prayer? It, well, we're talking about in the Spirit. Uh, what does that really mean, uh, in the Spirit? Uh, we said pray in the Spirit. And I think one of the ways to help us get an understanding and a handle on what the Bible is talking about is see how that expression is used, the word in something is used. For example, we're told to walk uh, in the Spirit as well, not just pray in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. We're also told to walk in love. We're told to walk in holiness. In all of those cases, is walk the the idea is influence. When you walk in love, you walk influenced by love. When you walk in the spirit, you walk influenced by the spirit. When you walk in holiness, you walk 
under the influence of holiness. So when it talks about walking in the Spirit, it is basically talking, praying in the Spirit, it's talking about praying under the influence of the Spirit. And it carries the idea of praying in cooperation with the Spirit. Uh, it also carries the idea of praying in control of the Spirit and praying in communion with the Spirit. And this is where uh, it's more than just saying words. The biblical doctrine is that while we're praying to the Father in the name of the Son, that we seek the Spirit to guide us and influence us as we're praying. So while we're praying, we're asking the Spirit within, guide us in such a way that we pray, that our prayer may be answered. It's not just rushing in the prayer because we got all these requests, but are these requests in harmony with God's will and harmony with God's purpose? And we ask the Holy Spirit to guide us and bring to our mind relative to what we should be praying about. So it's really something that we should be thinking about more when we are praying. And then when we have certain requests, uh, we must be very, very thoughtful about those requests and ask the Spirit to guide us to pray properly. Um, If I might uh, point out something else to you, Nathan, look at um, Romans chapter 8, verse 6 and 7. Verse 26 and 27. Romans 8, 26 and 27 says... Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Verse 27, And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Several things there. This is where the Holy Spirit comes in very uh, very significant. Notice that His ministry, not only that we pray uh, uh, in the Spirit, but the Holy Spirit actually prays for us in this particular passage. There are two problems we have in prayer, ignorance and impotence. We don't know how to pray, and we don't have power to pray. And this is where we're told in both cases that He helps our infirmities, our weaknesses when we're praying. And then the other thing is, of course, the word help that is used there is a fascinating uh, word. It's a very long word as well. If I pronounce it, it'll bite my tongue in the, in the Greek language. But it means to lay hold along with, to take hold with, with another. So it's almost to help along as He is interceding. Now here's this, two other things. His prayer in helping us is directed towards God's will. So whenever he's praying for us, it's always in the direction of God's will. And that's where we <clears throat> we should always be asking him to guide us in the direction of God's will because he prays for us in the will of God, as the, as the passage says here. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the other thing is that he, he says he prays with groanings and utterings that cannot be cannot be uttered. And that gives you an idea of the earnestness and the supplication that he may, he prays for us. Here we are praying for something that's completely out of God's will. And he's groaning on our behalf that somehow or we would turn that prayer uh, into the doing of God's will. So he's, he's actually grieved over us and groaning over our condition and the way that we, the, 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 we pray before God. Is that talking about tongues? No, this is not. And I'm glad you mentioned that because... When people talk praying in the Spirit, they always think that it's referring to, to tongues. But clearly, Paul, if you read the same passage, the same Paul that tells us to pray in the Spirit is the same Paul that says that while praying in the Spirit, he's praying with his understanding. 
when you're praying in a tongue, you don't understand a thing. You don't even know what you're saying. It's a language that you've never learned. And that's why the Bible emphasizes, of course, you must have an interpreter. But it's not talking about that. It's talking about being in a, a, a mind, a disposition of mind, that you're aware that when you're praying, you want to pray in the will of God, and you're asking the Holy Spirit to direct you in as you're praying, that what you're praying uh, assists you in moving in that direction of God's will. That's basically what it really means. But it also lets us know that when we are weak and we are frail and we are uh, impotent in our prayers and we are burdened down with our weaknesses, that we do have the Holy Spirit who uh, intercedes on our behalf to strengthen us and to help us and to direct our prayers. This is exactly what is meant in this particular passage. And, and notice, by the way, Nathan, it says in verse number 27, read that. Verse 20, Romans eight twenty-seven says, And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. You see that? that the, 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 the Father reads what the Spirit is praying about. He's praying in his will. And notice he knows the mind of the Spirit. Uh, that's so significant that instead of reading our minds, he's reading what the Spirit is praying on our behalf. So you not only got Christ interceding for us, we also got the Spirit interceding for us. And I think that is something marvelous and significant as far as the uh, part of our prayer life that we are not so much keenly aware of, but which I think we should be more thoughtful of when we come to prayer. Do you believe there's any biblical evidence for or reason to believe that there are times that we pray for something that would not necessarily have been God's desire for us or God's initial will, I don't know if that's a correct way of saying that, for us, but yet because we keep pleading, he goes ahead and gives it to us as if to say, okay, I'll give it to you. This I had better for you, but I'll give it to you. Well, we have an example of that pretty much in the Old Testament. You know, the people wanted uh, quails. He, God had given them manna. And they came to the Lord and said, we want quail. We're tired of this manna, 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 morning, noon, and night, manna, 40 years. We're tired of this thing. And the Bible says that God gave them the desires. He said, okay, what manna? Give you manna. And of course, while they're eating the manna and it's coming through the nostrils, there's a plague that takes over. There are times when our rebellion against God is such that God takes his hand off and God said, okay, that's what you want, that's what you what you get, but we pay the consequences. I think that happens uh, with periodically with God. It's not the standard way that God operates with us, but there are times when he thinks he can discipline us and teach us lessons that we would not have learned uh, had we not gone through this process. And I think that that, that happens, and that you could see that in the Old Testament as well. And you believe it still happens There today. is a sermon that I read some time ago um, that was entitled uh, The Danger of Answered Prayer, something of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a fast, I was reading it. I was fascinated that he, he went to the Old Testament and showed many times when, several times, when people asked for something that God said no, and then afterwards, take Balaam. You remember uh, Balaam? The Lord uh, told Balaam he couldn't curse the Jews. And then Balak hired him and promised him. And uh, he asked the Lord, well, should I curse? He said, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. You remember on his way, the mule saw the angel in the wind. It was the angel ready to slay him. And the, 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 the mule uh, veered off and crushed his leg. He said, why, you, why in the world you did that? Uh, again, Balaam was allowed what he wanted. It's not the best thing for him, but that was part of the discipline process that God would use to hopefully bring the prophet back in line. 
But that is another example of God giving a person what is not good for him, but because he insists he wants it, okay, go ahead. I've warned you, I've told you not to do it, but you want go ahead, do it. God does that sometimes with his people. You're listening to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Do you have a question? You can send it via WhatsApp or text message to 268-782-1454. Anything else you want to mention in relation to the role of the Spirit in prayer? No, I just think that I think when all of us who are praying, I think it the recognition of this protocol is so vitally important. I know we, we know we, we go directly to the Father, we know we pray, but this part of the Spirit, praying in the Spirit and depending upon His guidance and His influence so that He brings us in the sphere of God's will, I think that is one of the most negligent part in prayer, that we don't spend enough time thinking through that matter uh, and asking Him, uh, guide me according to God's will, because that's how the Spirit guides us. Uh, and I think that sometimes we, we need to understand that, that that companionship role and that communion role that's involved uh, in the prayer ministry, bringing the Spirit uh, and understanding His role in, in that regard of interceding on our behalf. For those that have just joined us, weren't here for the beginning of this episode, what specific directives were given regarding how we should go about praying, or what are those uh, protocols? The protocol is that we uh, come to the Father, who is the one we address. We come to Him in His Son's name, and we come with Him under the influence of the Holy Spirit or in the Spirit, depending upon the Spirit to guide us to pray in the will of God. That is in essence and gist. Uh, what the biblical protocols are when it comes to prayer. As our time is wrapping up in this particular episode, and we still have about 15 minutes, so if you have a question, go ahead and send it in. But Pastor, what... uh, I'll jump into this question in just a minute, but we have a caller... Codrington, thank you for calling, and please go ahead quickly with your question. Yeah, um, I have a good question here, so I just really know that. So, um, you know, when it's a way call the name Coddington, you know that um, I'm the um, a child, and I'm, I'm the mother of um, Mary, right? Wherever uh, Mary born a new godly scriptures and so they're so concerning about another human being wherever concerned different from even so who born sin and then maybe who is ever born Jesus Christ and say anybody who come to him there so as um new people in life there so but um just as a what I want to ask there so right now right uh-huh. I want to ask this question. You know a lot of people there so outside there so say that so, Jesus Christ born them to die? You hearing me? Yes. Huh? Yes, I'm hearing you. Okay, I can't hear the plan, but I'm going to continue with my question. Yeah. Because they have a lot of people out there, so now we say that's how Jesus Christ born them. They say that's how they're born and they're born in sin and whatever they're born in good. They so now and now when they come to the question now, they say that Jesus Christ is born them and them supposed to have um it, uh, somebody is just messing with with my life right now. So I have, I have to excuse him, right? Yeah. So I'm talking to myself now. You know, people out there so most people from Dominicans and so that's how they say that Jesus Christ created them 
And when Jesus Christ created them now, he said they created them today, so and now when several is supposed to say that how they're supposed to have life eternal. They don't have life eternal because they know that they need not following unto the Bible because they don't like the Bible. They don't, don't love Jesus Christ. They love the devil. So I want you to answer me this question. This question is about, um, you hear me? I'm listening, sir. I'm listening. I'm listening. Yeah, because when, you know, that the, the Bible create people inside this world here, they, so they want to take it on their own. And they're not listening to what Jesus Christ said and the Bible said now. To say that's how exactly when Jesus Christ created you in in his image. And then the other people say now the devil say that's how um the devil telling that's how God do this unto them and say that's how Jesus Christ is not good because he created you to go be dead if you're not following unto his story because i know the bible says you so, have to Codrington. follow him and then he, he said that's how if you don't follow me i'm going to do whatever i have to do unto him there so but i want to bring back the other past you remember when jesus christ didn't say that how uh, when God may say that um, the people is in them, there is, so in, um, when Moses and them in those parties, so when Moses and say that how they was crying out for the Israelites and them and say that how we want a savior for this world and they were crying out to God and they crying out to God and God said that how he's supposed to have um, a savior to the and he was hearing the cry and said we want to if our person can hear our prayer right now, we all of us now will say that how Jesus Christ come for his world, like all the people in, them in Moses and um, like the rest people in them, um, in um, Pharaoh's time, where he said we want a savior. So we wonder if we, we can do it. And say that how we pass in this world to the days so now, and say nobody know the time. I say we wonder if our uh, we persons can do it and say that's all. Because we really need to save in this world right now, no? God, right? Yeah, but Brother Carlton, uh, um, look, I'm a little bit confused with what you're saying. I think you need to give some more serious thought and get your thoughts together. I understand your intention. Uh, I was trying to read between the lines. All I can say to you uh, as far as... The, the matter of, you mentioned eternal life, uh, you mentioned a Savior. Uh, Christ was God's Savior before the foundation of the earth, and uh, the first proto-evangelical co- uh, promise is given in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that the seed of the womb would come that would bruise the serpent head. So from the very beginning, Christ was going to be the Messiah, and he was going to come and die as the Lamb of God. So Christ was born to die, no question about that. He's very, very, he said, I, I, I lay down my life, no man takes it away from me. I lay it down and take it up. So he was born to die. And he came and he died so that our sins might be forgiven. He 
took the role and he took our punishment, he took our penalty, he took our guilt so that we can be pardoned and we can be forgiven. And what we need to do is to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ so that we can benefit from what he did on the cross for us. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for us, he promises to give us eternal life. And he says that no man will be able to pluck anybody out of his hand and that... um, and neither can any man pluck them out of the Father's hand. So we're secure in Christ, we're supporters, secure in the Father. We're also sealed by the Holy Spirit, according to the epistles, until the day of redemption. So eternal security is something guaranteed to a person who puts their faith and trust in Christ. Not in yourself, not in your church, not in Mary, not in pastor, not in the priest, not in the Pope. It is only found in Christ and Christ alone. And I hope that someday will come when you would leave inside this myriolatry and become a Christological Christian, putting your faith, everything in Christ and Christ alone, so that when you come before God in the future, because you are going to come before God in the future, and He asks you, why should I let you into the kingdom? Please don't say, I have a ticket for Mary. You must be able to say, I've put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He's the door, He's the way, He's the truth, the life. That's the way you're going to get in. If you don't have Him, you'll never make it even if you call Mary a thousand times. You have to understand that, Codrington. You put your faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone. It's the only means of salvation. No man comes to the Father except through me. That's the biblical doctrine when it comes to salvation. You're listening to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 8.51. We've got just... Seven minutes or so left in this particular episode. Still enough time if you want to quickly call and be put live on the air. You can call one two six eight four six two seventy four twenty. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text message, send a text message. You can send your question to one two six eight seven eight two one four five four. As we come to an end of this session, Pastor. I'd like to end again like you, we did last week with a very practical question about how we can uh, better our prayers, how we can prepare, especially when we have in light the fact the role of the Trinity and how important that is in our uh, prayer life. How do we move forward? How do we improve? And how do we pray more? Well, I just want to mention as well, while I give you those ideas, I do want to um, perhaps deal with a slightly different matter before we we address that question. And that would be, in light of the fact that we've got all this emphasis in the Bible about prayer, and we've given the correct protocol, et cetera, et cetera, and the fact that the Bible... um, again and again, calls upon God's people and admonishes us to prayer. How do we explain uh, the prayerlessness that we see um, around us, and even in ourselves, in our lives sometimes? I want to mention a few things about that first before we get to the other one. And I want to just highlight a few things that I think explain uh, why we tend to live such a, a prayerless life today, especially. One of the things, I think, is the weakness of the flesh. You remember with the disciples, the Lord says, look, I, you know, come and pray with me. This is before he is about to be crucified and he's going to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's probably the most important 
time in his life prior to his death, and he asked disciples to pray. And every time he comes back, they're sleeping. Remember what he said? The spirit is willing, but what? The flesh is weak. I think that's one of the biggest reasons to explain why we don't put so much emphasis on our prayer, and etc. So I think the weakness of the flesh is one factor. The other thing I think, Nathan, is our sense of self-sufficiency. People who are self-sufficient hardly see the need for prayer. Uh, as those who have a dependent mindset that are inclined to develop a life of prayer. So I think self-sufficiency and self-adequacy is one of the, the biggest uh, hindrances to us developing a meaningful prayer life. The other thing is in discipline. If we are going to pray and we're going to make prayer a vital part of our lives, it's not just going to happen by resolving today it's going to happen. We've got to exercise some form of discipline to make it happen by creating the the time that we're going to do it, the place we're going to do it, and get into a regular habit of prayer. But without discipline in prayer, we'll never ever become successful in our prayer life and we'll never have a sufficient and efficient prayer life. It'll always be a haphazard thing and we get frustrated and feel so much guilt and then we turn away from actual prayer itself. So I think in discipline is another one. Uh, the other thing I think uh, that, that this explains it is the fact that somehow we view activity as spirituality. So the more we do, we think we're more spiritual. We haven't accepted the fact that there is tranquility that leads to deeper spirituality so that we need to spend time, not in activity now, but actually in in communicating, in in talking, uh, in relating to God more on a personal level than an active level. The verse that just came to my mind is, Be still and know that I am God. Yeah, but I I think that, that, and again, look at the life of our Lord. Remember that He was God in the flesh. But you remember last week we said that he went up into the mountain to prayer and he spent a whole night in prayer. That's more than once in the scripture they said he got away from the crowd and he went to be alone in prayer. That should send a message to us that we can get so busy and we think we're doing so much for God. In actual fact, uh, we're doing so little because we haven't spent the time, the quality time uh, with him. And I think that's another danger. Here's another one I I really think is uh, very, very real. I think the distractions that we have today are so numerous that um, we allow these things to crowd prayer. For example, the distraction of TV, cable television, the distraction of the iPhone, the, 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 the phone. People are always plugged in. When they're not on their cell phone, they've got their things plugged into the ears. I think those. Are, I think uh, take take uh, also. Um, the use of the computer is another another one that, that distracts us. And what about music? The people that all they listen to all day is music. They listen to good music, good Christian music, but that's not they do music. They're not seeing the element of prayer. And then, of course, uh, many other things we've got to do in a normal function in life. But I think a lot of these things distract us, and uh, they take up our time. And Time taken up with these matters is is time not available for prayer. So we've got to have the discipline to slot prayer in. Uh, The other thing is, uh, I think that, quite frankly, we become very, very insensitive towards the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I think when we were uh, much younger in our faith, when we first got saved, uh, we were more inclined, uh, really, to, to, to be conscious uh, today we've matured in the Christian faith. We we get into a, a routine and a uh, uh, is a phone note. 
I'm just saying that um, I think our insensitivity to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, because I am one person that believe that the Holy Spirit has been grieved into silence. The Bible warns us not to grieve the Spirit. And you grieve, many ways you can grieve a person, but one of the things that you can, ones that can really, really turn a person off is when they keep speaking to you and speaking to you and you are never there, you never listen. It comes to a point where that person says, well, what's the use of talking to this person any longer? And they become so grieved at our insensitivity that they withdraw themselves. And I think this is one of the big problems when it comes to prayer. The Spirit will prompt us to prayer, and then we will give a thousand reasons why we can't pray at this particular point in time. Thank you for calling, and you have about 20 seconds. Be very quick with your question for Pastor Murphy, please. Does it, does it, good evening, uh, Pastor Murphy. Good evening, sir. Is it, does it matter where we pray? Could it, could it be when I'm driving my car or prayer? Does it matter where I pray? No, it doesn't matter where you pray. As Paul says, uh, pray everywhere. Um, found, we found that in the book of Timothy. And uh, the other thing is, is the posture doesn't really matter as well. I mean, whether you be praying, driving, or uh, kneeling at your bed, or raising hands, or you, you know, there are many, many different postures in the Bible. The important thing is 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 to pray, the, and and uh, we can get involved in the mechanics and the logistics of prayer, and uh, we can even get into the matter of talking about prayer. But what we really need is a uh, action where we actually devote our time more time to prayer i think that's what we really need so i think that's that's important the, the not the place but the actual practice of prayer thank you very much for your call thank you for participating on the program tonight we look forward to continuing this topic of prayer next week continuing to discuss in further detail how we can better our prayer life, what keeps us, what challenges us, keeps us from being able to pray and have an effective prayer life. Keep your radio dial tuned to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, and online at www.radiolighthouse.org. Currently at the Radio Lighthouse Studio, we have a time of 8.59 on this Tuesday evening. God bless you. Stay safe. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kHz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.